It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. However you are and whenever you are, welcome, good souls, the paranormal now. I'm Alan B. Smith. Join us as we traverse the cosmic highway of paranormal portals and tantalizing turnoffs. Tonight, we're going down the cryptic alleyway to the backwaters of the undescribable death sentence called the Chupacabra. And my guest tonight is Benjamin Ford, author of Tracking the Chupacabra. He'll be up in just a little bit. Um, As a reminder, if you're a fan of Paranormal Now, please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, and force-clicking the notification bell on YouTube. We're trying to build this channel up, and I really, really appreciate all of your support and your efforts so far. The channel is growing, um, but if you haven't yet, uh, please subscribe and comment down below and share and like. And... The Skype call-in line uh, will be open in the last 30 minutes. And a reminder for all of you who love coffee as much as I do, the Alien Coffee Bean discount code for Paranormal Now, if you go to aliencoffeebean.com, is MYSTERY20. All caps, MYSTERY20 for 20 per- 20% off US-only uh, shipping. Really great people. Um, they've had paranormal experiences themselves, uh, which is partly what inspired the uh, Alien Coffee Bean uh, Roasters Company, and they really are um, great roasters. Uh, Please subscribe on YouTube, all social media, Facebook, and on Twitter, and please consider becoming a Patreon member, um, giving a monthly tip, whatever whatever you can. I really would appreciate that to keep this show, Paranormal Now, and Coffee and UFOs going. All right, so my guest is Ben. <laughs> I was going to say your real name, Ben, but then I looked at Ben Chupa Slayer Jammin, so I wasn't sure should I go with that. You know what? I, I'm easy, so t- take your pick. I, I, I've been called many <laughs> things in my time, not all of them flattering, so uh, knock yourself out. Fair enough. Okay, so uh, Benjamin Bradford uh, approaches his search for the elusive creature with a critical but careful eye. Uh, among the monsters said to roam the world's jungles and desolate deserts, none is more feared than the chupacabra, the blood-sucking beast blamed for the mysterious deaths of thousands of animals since the 1990s. Combing, uh, combining five years of careful investigation, including information from eyewitness accounts, field research, and forensic analysis, with a close study of the creature's cultural and folkloric significance, Radford's book is the first to fully explore and to try and solve the decades-old mystery of the chupacabra. Uh, ben Radford is a scientific a paranormal investigator, a research fellow at the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry 
Uh, and he's a fun guy. Welcome, Ben. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining. So before we get into the, the famed beast, the Chupacabra, how did you even get interested in anything paranormal related in the first place? Yeah, that's always sort of the million dollar question. You know, I, I just, people look into the, the the stuff that I do in the books and are like, and what's a reasonably sane person like you? And of course, they're, they always they always have that caveat. Appa apparently sane person like you doing spending your time on this. Um, and there's a couple answers. One is that um, basically my interest in, in the paranormal and, and weird things began as a teenager. Uh, like many teenagers, I was interested in weird stuff, right? I mean, it's these things are inherently fascinating. So I, I grew up reading books on crop circles and aliens and dragons yep. and, you know, psychic powers and Bigfoot and all these things. And, um, and uh, I would, uh, I would often, I was a voracious reader uh, back in the day and, and still am. And I remember uh, being a, a, a young boy and I would go to the local um, used bookstore and I would plunk down mm -hmm. my allowance, you know, five or 10 bucks or something. And I'd, I'd come back with this, um, these armloads of books uh, from the local bookstore, which is just not too far from my house. And I would, I had all these books on, again, all these mysterious paranormal explained things. And, and for, for a while I was very, I was just fascinated by them. Cause like, you know, there's, there's, there's books and they have the name on them and it, they, it must be true. It's in print. You know, this is, this is before, yeah. before the internet. So this is showing how old I am. Um, and, uh, and so I, I would, and I would, I sort of got involved in this over a couple summers, but sort of eventually I began to realize that most, not all, but most of the books that I was reading these sort of yeah. like mystery, dramatic, unexplained, blah, blah, blah. There was very little actual investigation. It was mostly sort of, it is said that. And, you know, rumor has it that. And, you know, in 1805, you know, four people disappeared in the black hole in the middle of London and they were never seen again. And I'm like, hold on here. What was their names? Who saw this? How do we know this? You know, where I give me more details. Give me something that I could actually follow up on. And right. and I sort of I sort of eventually realized that there was very little actual investigation. It was mostly just sort of repeating stories and the mm -hmm. the, the pre-internet version of cut and paste. And so I decided, well, hold on here. I these things are fascinating, right? Ghosts and and monsters. And, and I said to myself, well, I want to know for myself if these are true. Um, I don't just want to take some author's word for it, or these days some blogger's word for it. I want to find out myself. And so that sort of led me to wanting to look into the, the, the scientific side of things. And I, I ended up getting a degree in psychology and sort of bringing uh, folklore to it and things like that. So that sort of crystallized for me the, the, my interest in and desire to uh, explore and explain uh, these mysteries. And tell us about Squaring the Strange. Yes, yeah, so Squaring the Strange is a podcast that I am the co-host of uh, and co-founder of. It's one of two podcasts. I also uh, I previously created a, um, a podcast called Monster Talk, which won a Parsec Award uh, many moons ago. Um, but the current incarnation and the current version is Squaring the Strange, and uh, it comes out every two weeks. And we cover um, all manner of weirdness. We're now, I think, in our third year or something. It's 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 been going on forever. Um, but we, we bring, we bring critical thinking and skepticism to any number of topics from crop circles to ghosts, to mass hysterias and urban legends. Uh, our most recent episode was actually an episode on levitation, 
and the idea that you know things can people and objects can just float in the air and so we had an interesting deep dive into that um i had an experience when i was a child that it appeared that we had levitated a human hmm. um collectively oh. <laughs> so, was this as light as a feather yes it was <laughs> i yes, love it, it. Was. and um it was it was an experience i you know, as an adult looking back, you know, sure, I could try to pick it apart. But at the time, it was it felt very real. Um, and, and we all collectively believed that we were levitating this person. And and on top of that, objects in the room seem to have appeared to, to kind of start glowing a little bit. Hmm. Uh, have you heard of that? Uh, a little bit. You know, there, there's lots of of, of perceptual um changes that can occur when you're in when a, in, in a mind frame, what you might consider like a psychologically primed mind frame mindset. And mm -hmm. you see this a lot. You know, you see this in ghost investigations, you see this in monsters. And, you know, if you if you tell people what to expect out of a, out of a given ambiguous experience, mm -hmm. sometimes people will actually see that. So if you if you say, hey, you know, uh, this this particular location, it's known for ghosts. So, you know, if you if you hear something weird or see something weird, or you get a weird feeling, it's probably a ghost. Well, yeah. you might have that same experience, you know, at the local Target or, you know, anywhere else. And you wouldn't think anything twice about it. But because it's because that experience happened within the context of something where you're told to what to look for, you're told weird things might be happening around you. Yeah. That that leads us that makes us more likely to interpret ambiguous things as being, uh, you know, mysterious. Leading into our conversation about Chupacabra and other cryptids at the beginning of your, your book tracking the Chupacabra, something kind of stood out to me. Uh, and you said, quote, I believe it was time well spent for solutions are, and this is regarding your research for solutions are always more valuable than mysteries. And I would counter that to a degree. Okay. Uh, certainly it could be, it, it's, it requires context, but there is something profoundly inspiring, for lack of a better word, about mystery in and of itself, in that that the mystery, the not knowing the answers, um, kind of drives one, um, one, to have fun with, with sure. searching for the mystery, the actual Absolutely. journey, but also it, I think it, it creates a sense of introspection that you know, great mythological stories and what have you have done, you know, previously. Don't you think that psychologically there's something gratifying about a mystery? There's there's a pleasure in it. And that in and of itself makes it worthwhile allowing it to be a mystery. Well, I, I, I think there's a grain of truth to that. I mean, people, you know, mysteries are entertaining. Uh, I mean, look at puzzles, right? Crossword puzzles. Right. Uh, Wordle. Uh, there, any 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 puzzle is a mystery that you're that you're enjoying trying to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in terms of, I mean, the, the context in which I was talking about that is sort of is human human nature and human experience. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that mysteries are the default uh, status um, of of humankind. Right? Um, is that if, if you if you you know we come into the world not just individually but also as as a species. So before we learn about the world, the, the entire world is mysterious. Uh, we sure. don't know what causes diseases. We don't know what what you know what causes uh, comets and 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 you know eclipses and whatever else. 
And so, so I would argue that mysteries are a dime a dozen. In fact, it's, it's, it's very, very easy to create a mystery. All you mm -hmm. need to do is to, is to leave out an important key fact or something, right? If, 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 a, if a glass of milk spills and nobody's around, then it's a mystery. If a glass of milk spills and then there's a six-year-old nearby, you may not have seen it, but it's not a mystery. And so, yeah, so so I would argue that that um, so I agree with you. There's something intriguing about about mysteries and something that's sort of in in its way beautiful. But I would argue that uh, mysteries are fine, but finding out is more important. So I, I would I I I enjoy the challenge. This is why I've been do, I've been doing these all these investigations. I've written. 12 books. I've done lots and lots of investigations and all sorts of things. And yeah. part of the reason that I do it and part of the reason that I spent so long in the Chupacabra story was because I sincerely didn't know what the answer was. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I mean, no, no, literally nobody in the world knew what the story about the Chupacabra was before I spent all this time and effort on it. And so I, I always sort of view it as being um, again, there's there's mysteries all around us. There's mysteries as to you know what's that weird sound? Why isn't my car working? There's this, there's that. But what what the 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 important thing? And, and again, mysteries for their own sake are, are great. But in the process of solving mysteries, in the process of understanding more about the world, that's even more valuable because now we know what you know what this is. We now now we know what causes diseases or, or how viruses are spread. So so I I would say that that. Mysteries are great, but 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 solving mysteries is even better if for no other reason than inherently more knowledge is better than less knowledge. But it's still the process of the mystery in the beginning that draws you in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm uh, you know, I, people contact me all the time. <clears throat> excuse me, wanting me to, 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 to investigate things. Right. So, cause mm -hmm. I'm a noted investigator in some places. And so I get emails and calls and stuff from people. Oh, can you investigate this? Can you investigate that? And I don't have the time, the resources to do it. I mean, I, I mean, I, again, I have just all the time. I have people contact me thinking there's a ghost in their house or they believe they're cursed or they're all, all sorts of different things. And so when, when possible, I try to get them, I try to equip them so that they can solve their own mysteries. So I can say, look, um, you know, I know you think this is going on and, you know, I, again, I, 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 I can't just randomly take on any investigations. Anybody happens to throw at me just as, as nobody can. Right. I mean, it's like pe people don't call up lawyers or doctors or any other professional and say, hi, um, I read something you wrote on discovery news two years ago. I want you to do something for me. Like <laughs> you get hung up on, right. But people feel, feel like they could do that to me because yeah, I'm a writer and stuff. So so that that that's what I would say is that you know that 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 there the, the the mystery itself is 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 all great and fine, but again, it's 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 the the solving of the mystery and the solution to it, and I love the challenge of it, as I was saying before. So if if I if I didn't enjoy the challenge, I wouldn't do it. Where does the story of the chupacabra begin? Well, um, that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, some people believe that the chupacabra actually has exist, existed for, for centuries or, or millennia. I mean, take your pick. Mm -hmm. um, and you can understand why, right? Because the, the chupacabra basically emerged in the late 1990s, uh, mid to late 1990s. Yep. And uh, that's the first time that anybody ever used the word chupacabra to refer to a vampiric 
blood-sucking animal that attacked goats or other livestock. Um, so I, I, I want to be very clear because the word chupacabra existed before, but it was in reference to a whippoorwill bird. So it was it was not it's it's a bird. It's not a vampire. It's not a monster. It's 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 another name for for uh, for a bird. Right, because it doesn't literally mean bloodsucker. It just means like sucker. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, it's interesting because this is where I bring in the folklore. Because as I mentioned, I, I do folklore and I'm a member of the American Folklore Society and I do a lot on that. And so mm -hmm. it's actually kind of interesting because where, where the whippoorwill bird got its name was a legend that it sucked the milk, not blood, the milk out of goats. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was said to this, this bird was said to, and, and again, this is when you look at it from broader folklore context, there's lots of legends about birds and omens and crows. And, you know, so it's part of a much broader thing. Um, but anyway, so, so to answer your question, so the, 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 the truthful, actual, ac accurate answer is the Chupacabra began uh, in Puerto Rico uh, mm -hmm. in, in 1995, 1996 spreading into 1996. Um, and so it's not a Mexican monster. Many people assume or think it's a Mexican monster because, you know, it's Spanish, chupacabras. Well, they, they speak Spanish in Puerto Rico. Um, but when you, when, so when you go back and you, when you dig up the, and this is what I did, I don't know if you want me to get into it right now, but basically I, sure. I, I, so I had basically set out to try and solve this mystery if i could and i didn't know if i could or not i mean i you know anytime you begin any project you hope you can do it but you, you never know right and so you hope it'll be successful but i had no idea when it began and so i i i i chose the chupacabra partly because um it was a very new monster and that intrigued me because as i said there mm -hmm. were no chupacabra reports uh, before the, the, the 1990s, there, there just weren't. And, you know, yeah. you can argue with me and we can, we can go back and forth on that, but th that's a simple fact. I've, I've, this has been pretty clearly established. There are certainly uh, reports of, you know, animals being, uh, sure. or mysteriously, but the, the attribution to Chupacabra, it was a, a brand new thing. Yeah. I mean, so, so this is why, like in my book, tracking the Chupacabra, I begin the book by setting the Chupacabra in its proper context, which is the vampire. Uh, Chupacabra is a vampire. And this is one reason why I found the monster so fascinating, right? Bigfoot is not a vampire. Mothman is not a vampire. Uh, mm -hmm. The Loch Ness Monster is not a vampire. The Chupacabra is specifically a vampire. It, that's literally what it does. It's it's known for sucking the blood out of animals, uh, goats, chickens, uh, cattle, what have you. And that intrigued me because I'm like, well, hold on here. Hold the phone. If these things are real... And I mm -hmm. say things because there can't just be one, right? It's like Bigfoot. There can't just be one Bigfoot that's been around for 200 years, right? There has to be a breeding population. There has to be more than one, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, thousands or tens of thousands, you know, depending on which, which uh, wildlife biologist you, you talk about. But so, so if, there, if, there, if these chupacabras do exist um, and they are actually legitimately, genuinely sucking the blood out of these creatures... Then there mm -hmm. should be evidence for it everywhere, right? If 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 that's what they do, if that's how they get their sustenance, is they attack chickens and goats and 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 cats and things like that. There should yeah. be literally a mountain of bodies in in Puerto Rico, in in Brazil, in Nicaragua, in, in Florida, Texas, elsewhere, of of dead animals that were demonstrably drained of blood by the chupacabra. 
or some other unknown creature that's that's mistaken for it. And so that's what intrigued me was like there should be hardcore forensic evidence. It should it should not just be myths and you know some weird sighting and here's some weird photo. There should be there should be you know there should be well, the, evidence. In the early years, there it seemed to be that way. There yeah. there were reports saying, "Oh, look, these bodies were found. They're completely bloodless." Right. Um, and you hear that. And and you think, okay, these are people who work with animals, you know, raise animals, livestock. They would know. Um, right. Maybe the local doctor came by and took a look and said, "Well, this is odd." Um, so it seemed credible, at least in the in the beginning. It, it did. Uh, and you know, keep in mind that that the, the time that you know, I like to say that the chupacabra, it's really sort of the first monster of the internet age, because it emerged as said in in, in nineteen ninety five. Um, and again, I can get into the origins later on, but, but the, the key here is that had the creature been cited and named and seen and discussed in say 1990 or 1978, and there's reasons why that didn't happen. And again, I can go into that, but had that occurred, it, it's more likely that no one would have heard about it today. The reason why the Chupacabra is so well known, it's probably the second or third best known creature after Bigfoot or Nessie. Is because, mm -hmm. um, but because of the internet, and and so the, it, it happened right at the time when the internet was just coming to uh, to, to Puerto Rico and to elsewhere, mm -hmm. um, and and the the original Chupacabra reports were sensationalized not only by local tabloids, particularly yeah. one called El Vocero, which is a, a San Juan based tabloid, very much like the National Enquirer, um, but also by um, by UFO groups. And it's fascinating when I trace back and say, like, well, how? Because currently, the 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 a lot of the original chupacabra legend and stories claim that it is it it's it is either an extraterrestrial or part of some genetic experiment, sort of a Frankenstein thing, or both, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of the reason that this 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 mythology emerged was that uh, some of the earliest proponents of the chupacabra were UFO believers who, who were based in, in, in Puerto Rico and were firmly convinced that there were aliens visiting Puerto Rico and extraterrestrials and, and, and take your pick. And they sort of, uh, sort of co-opted, if you will, the original sighting in the original report. And this is one of the reasons why it, it got so well known. The internet age, I think early on did allow for the explosion of, of, in modern myth, because I remember, you know, being a teen in the nineties and going to a website and it was a website and it had all these categories of aliens. And it just seemed like so legit because, mm -hmm. you know, the internet was so new. It, it, I thought, wow, this is like an encyclopedia of, of all these extraterrestrials. There must be, you know, real reports. And then, and as time goes on, you realize, oh, a lot of this is, is fabricated, mixed in with some reports. And it became very difficult to figure out, you know, what were actual alien abduction reports and what were kind of, you know, embellishments of people's imaginations. Absolutely. Uh, so then but what's the difference between because you say Chupacabra um, exploded because of the Internet. So how do you differentiate the popular growth of Loch Ness Monster versus the Chupacabra? 
Well, there's a couple ways. Uh, for example, um, you know, you know, the, the, the Loch Ness monster basically, and I mean, we can talk about Nessie, but I'll, I'll just sort of, I'll, I'll spare you the whole tangent. But basically, the, the reports of, of Nessie really only date back uh, to, to the 30s, if that. Um, now, there are some people who uh, who try and uh, claim that uh, that there are Catholic legends, uh, for example, Saint Columbo. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that are clearly Catholic legends. I mean, the whole story is about a Catholic uh, hero who, who vanquishes a beast in the form of a serpent. Can anybody guess what that might symbolize? Anybody in the back? Hello, can you hear me in the back? Right? It was, it's clearly, obviously, a, a Catholic legend about, about good and, and you know, the power of, of, of Christianity to, to dispel uh, Satan and, and the devil. So we can't we can't just sort of cherry pick and go back and say, oh yeah, this Catholic legend from from 1054, whenever it was, is evidence of Nessie. So when you look at Nessie again, the the the, the, the Nessie as a as an entity that was believed to exist in the lake only dates back uh, less than 100 years, yeah. um, and so there was a pre existing narrative about that and you can and if anyone's interested uh there's a book by uh two friends of mine um don prothero and D daniel loxton called abominable science and it's a really excellent deep dive into that but you can you contrast that with for example the the chupacabra mm -hmm. and um the, the chupacabra is interesting in in several ways one of them is that people and i sort of touched on this earlier people used it for their own purposes and in in some ways, you know, as a folklorist, I look at monsters and and the, the social function that they serve, and oftentimes it's a, it's a boogeyman. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the the Hispanic um, ghost La Llorona, and it's it's, it's common here in, in Mexico and, and here in New Mexico where I live and elsewhere. And it's basically this this uh, this ghost or evil spirit of a woman uh, called La Llorona, the weeping woman. Um, and she's said to uh, to uh, have drowned her children near a waterway or a river. And the story goes that if you hear her calling out on a moonless night, it's not the wind. It's La Llorona calling out for her missing children. And if you're mm -hmm. not careful, uh, she'll snatch children and, and drown them. And so it's, it becomes this sort of morality tale, this moral, moral story. And then, so she, she serves sort of this, this boogeyman function. And the same thing happens with Chupacabra. As I mentioned before, the Chupacabra entity was sort of co-opted uh, by, by uh, UFO believers for their own purposes because they sort of wanted to hype the idea that, that aliens were visiting uh, Puerto Rico. But in the same way, it, in the, I, this is one of the strangest things that I came across when I was researching it was it was soon after the original sighting in, um, in, uh, in 95. Uh, in 96, you had um, local politicians. In fact, the the, the local mayor mm -hmm. ran on a one a platform of "I'll protect you from the chupacabra." Vote for me, <laughs> and vote for me. I'll take care of this this you know this nasty blood sucking vampire. <laughs> vote for him, Chema Soto. <laughs> and it was just and 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 in my book I talk about other other for example the the Pentecostals uh, in 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 San Juan and elsewhere uh, they 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 were sort of pointing to the Chupacabra reports yeah. which were still circulating as being representative of Satan so you're like well yes the Chupacabra is real and but by the way it's not it's not an alien those guys are crazy it is in yeah. fact God punishing us for straying from from good behavior yeah we hear that with all kinds of anything strange oftentimes exactly. oh god's 
sending evil demons down here. Exactly. Um, but that is very uh, politician-like. I mean, <laughs> it is. It's classic. Kind, of, kind of medieval, right? Classic. Like it, it's like, oh, the dragon. I'll protect you from the dragons. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I have a quick. I have a quick follow-up to that because I was yeah. in. Uh, I was in Puerto Rico. I guess two years ago now, just before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and I was there for for the Josh Gates show, Destination Unknown or Expedition okay. Unknown. I forget which one. And uh, Gates had me down there and we were we, we shot on location for almost a week in Puerto Rico. And uh, it was actually kind of fun. I ended up deep in some cave with with bats and roaches. And I'm not going to go into that. Um, but um, but what was interesting was they were trying to um, they wanted to get the current mayor of San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico and, and Canovanas, uh, where, where, where the first. Chupacabra was, was cited on camera. They wanted to interview them about it. As it turns out, the daughter of Jose Shimosoto, who was the, the, the mayor at the time, is now the current mayor. And uh, you would think that that uh, that she would want to talk about uh, talk about the Chupacabra. No, she refused to be interviewed. And it was fascinating to see like how 30 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever it is, um, her father was eager to use the chupacabra legend to to get his votes but now that it's sort of a passe weird thing and and did it really she's like wants well, nothing to do with it i just i love that story you remember when you're a kid and your your parents would say something you're just like oh in front of their friends you're like no dad no mom don't say that's, that's, I imagine I imagine that's her emotion right yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah can we not talk about that um okay so we're gonna go to a break we'll be right back uh um, with Bren Radford and we'll be discussing more about the Chupacabra and other uh, cryptids. There's so much more uh, to this mystery and Ben spent about five years researching. Um, so there's a lot to cover. Um, and for those of you, um, I know a lot of us are out there looking for legitimate sites. So in the show description, I put a link um, for Ukrainian humanitarian aid uh, verified charitable sites so if you want to go into the show description and if you're looking for something that's been verified and charitable um, go check that out as well and uh, we'll be right back on the other side of this break and we'll continue this discussion of high strangeness and please consider liking commenting down below subscribing and helping to grow this channel we will be Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This coffee is delicious. Is that a UFO? I'm actually seeing a UFO. This coffee is awesome. That's why they call it alien coffee bean. (laughs) Is this even made on Earth? Hey all, Paranormal Now will be syndicated on the UnX network, the new mainstream, where you can find your favorite hosts and shows on the cutting edge of ufological and paranormal news and topics. Listen for Paranormal Now, rebroadcast on The X at 2 a.m. EST Fridays, 11 p.m. PST Thursdays at unxnetwork.com. Welcome back to Paranormal Now. This is your grateful host, Alan B. Smith, streaming to you live on the Paranormal Pop YouTube channel and also syndicated 2 a.m.s on KUNXDB. Uh, we're coming back to a position of high strangeness here with uh, Ben Radford, author of Tracking the Chupacabra. Ben, on your sojourns, there it is, on your sojourns, um, have have you ever actually had moments though where you found yourself in a in a creepy, um, uncanny situation? Yes, um, with the caveat that um, it was usually other people that were creeping me out. Other humans. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being totally serious. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, as 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 you know, I investigate weird things, crop circles. Um, uh, you know, ghosts, I've, I've, uh, you know, on-site investigations, field work and things like that. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it, it's weird seeing the contrast between how I investigate and how like TV ghost hunters investigate. Cause it's very, 
very, very different. Um, they sort of have this ad hoc thing and like, oh, dude, we're going to go in this haunted house and, you know, get, turn the lights off and, and walk around. And, what was that? What was that? And it bears no resemblance to good quality investigation research. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, and just o- over and over, you see like, you know, there's, they, they get scared of something and they run away. It's like, no, if you, if, if you genuinely and sincerely think that there is something unexplained or unusual or weird in front of you, mm-hmm. go towards it immediately. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't run away. Don't get scared. Go and try and figure out what it is. Well, don't you think though, especially if you're watching something on television, that, that may not be representational of your average paranormal investigator <laughs> because because all the paranormal investigators sure. I know they don't like go ooh and then like run off ooh, into the night right. right they they you know they keep their equipment steady and they they listen and they you know record they don't run and they play back and they try to try to cross reference and make sure everything's legit at least the what sure. least you know, those that that I've become friendly with um, but as yeah. what you see on TV is like it, you're right very much ad hoc and Hollywoodized. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and that's one of the things you have to keep in mind is that, I mean, and I, I've been on many of these TV shows. I mean, I, I've been on both mm-hmm. sides of the camera here. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very, uh, they're often heavily scripted. Uh, I was on a show one time where I actually caught somebody faking ghost evidence. Um, I'm not going to go into it here, but I mean, I was, I was you know, I was there. I, I saw them trying to do this and trying to pull one over on the producers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where, it depends on what your goal is, right? My goal as an investigator is to solve mysteries. That's that's generally and sincerely what I want to do. If I'm looking into a psychic detective case, I'm looking into chupacabras, I'm looking into a ghost case, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do, do my sincere best not to be dismissive or say, oh, this is too stupid or you're ridiculous or you're crazy. You know, you couldn't have seen that. No. I will, I will, I will listen to your story. I will look at your evidence. I will, I will take this seriously because I take it seriously. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the difference is, is that, is that bec- because I want to solve the mystery, because I, if, if possible, I want to actually figure out what it is, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring uh, the best science I can and critical thinking and, and, you know, and, and research and things like that. And that's really my, that's my main criticism of cryptozoology, of, of ghost hunting and the other fields, it's not that they're they're interested in the subject because again, I'm interested in the subject. We, we all should be. My criticism is they're not approaching the topic using good scientific methodologies. And if they were, they then we'd have better evidence if these things are real. Is there anything in true of truth based in the chupacabra that you found being a vampiric? Hmm creature anything in truth um that's interesting i've never been asked that question before um i yeah anything in truth to it um i would say not in the empirical sense uh there there is a certain sort of folkloric truth truth if you will um I mentioned before about the, the the notion of of what's the chupacabra mean, right? And to some to some people, it, it's a boogeyman. To some people, uh, it's it's something to to make money off of and other things like that. Some yeah. for some people, not so much these days, but back in the day, it was it was a it was a vehicle for getting votes or getting getting attention to your cause. Uh, if you're a writer for the X Files, 
it's a, it's fodder for a TV show, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's great. Great creatives of all sorts of, of any kind of art form. Yeah, and and it's uh, and and so you know I would have to, again I'm not I'm not tr not trying to be cagey I'm just trying to answer your question so mm -hmm. you know I would say that um, you know at the end of the day my um, my my best guess based on again five years of research and lots and lots of, of miles and visiting Nicaragua I spent time in the jungle uh, looking for chupacabra I can talk about that if you want. Um, and elsewhere is that the chupacabra almost certainly doesn't exist. That, that's to say it can't exist or it's impossible because in science, nothing is impossible, right? There's, there's always the possibility that something is real because science, science, science operates on the best evidence to date. It, so we, right. we, we can't definitively say that X can't exist because we don't know. All we can say is that based on the information so far, which is quite a bit, there's not good <laughs> scientific evidence for it. So... Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I end my I end my book sort of on a, on a more philosophical note, talking about you know was this a waste of my time? Because again, I spent five years, I spent you know, just thousands of hours on this, and my own money and flying places and all sorts of things. And the answer is the 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 more interesting answer. But aside from whether there's actually these you know scary looking chupacabra things running around, you know, eating. Uh, eating uh, chickens and things like that. The more interesting answer is, is why do people think there's good evidence for the chupacabra and what social and folkloric role do, does the chupacabra play in people's beliefs? Uh, so to my mind, that's that's even more interesting than, than whether the, the thing actually exists or not. Um, I have to add this here. Maria Wilson Duff says, uh, Bigfoot's pet. <laughs> Well, How does here, that <laughs> no, no, Maria is is half right. So, um, so one of the original explanations for the chupacabra, and mm -hmm. I'm I, I, totally serious, and I, if you've read my book, you know where I'm going with this, is the chupacabra is literally, not figuratively, literally, ET's pet. So one of the uh, original explanations um, mm -hmm. was that uh, a UFO, uh, you know, was was buzzing by Puerto Rico as one does. And uh, the, the door opened, like in the movies, I guess, and the chupacabra popped its little head out and escaped into the jungle. In, in fact, into the El Yunque uh, rainforest, which is just outside mm -hmm. of San Juan, where it then lived, uh, presumably attacking goats and chickens and whatnot. Uh, although no people, which is curious. But anyway, uh, the, the idea is that it then escaped into the uh, into the uh, the jungle there. And again, this goes back to to the, this sort of interesting uh, folkloric uh, UFO alien extraterrestrial thread mm -hmm. that that was it, it's not so much anymore. I mean, these days it's it, it sort of it sort of steer from that. But when you go and you look at the original, the first original ideas about the chupacabra and the sightings and what people thought it was, from say 1995 to about 2000, that's what that's what we're talking about. Is either an extraterrestrial or an extraterrestrial's pet, uh, and or some uh, some conspiracy theory like this idea that there's this there's this hidden secret lab uh, in the LUK rainforest uh, mm -hmm. where they're doing these horrible genetic experiments, and this this you know terrifying Frankenstein esque creature escaped uh, during a hurricane because of course. Uh, hurricanes are, are, are common in in, uh, in Puerto Rico, and the idea is that it something crashed through and it then escaped, and then and here it is. Could it be both? 
Oh, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it could be both. Um, that's, that was one of the, see, this is, this is, this is one of the fascinating parts you have, you have these two parallel threads. And then when you, uh, when, and again, we can need to talk about it now or later, but when you, when you, when you did, when, when I dug up where the original Chupacabra story came from, it made perfect sense. It literally fit all together like a puzzle as to why people thought the Chupacabra was either an extraterrestrial or some sort of genetics experiment gone wrong. Uh, and in fact, um, it's pretty clear wh where that notion came from. I think for me, over the years, the Chupacabra I've always found very fascinating. Um, but when I when I do compare Chupacabra to Bigfoot, uh, I think there's much more compelling evidence for a hominid that's you know undetected than a Chupacabra. Now, uh, it, it could the Chupacabra, like um, is speculated with Mothman, be if not an, an alien that comes down and 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 because and has a little fun and then goes back up, which would explain why you don't find like mounds and mounds of bodies because if it's not a native species that's going from territory to territory and and slaughtering goats, um, then that would make sense. It just comes on occasion, does its little thing, goes back. Uh, or could it could it be something? From another realm right so sure when, well when yeah we, i mean and you know anytime that you have um anytime that you have these 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 cryptids and you know we could take bigfoot for example that's another another parallel that you brought up mm -hmm. right so um you know in and frankly it's the same thing with ghosts is like there's no consensus on what these things are uh, yeah. i mean i can i can give you a half dozen mutually exclusive definitions of what ghosts are propounded by so-called experts. I mean, people who say, I've been investigating ghosts for 30 years, and they'll tell you definitely what it is. And then mm -hmm. you go to the next expert who's been going also doing it for 30 years, and they're like, no, that's all wrong. It's this, right? And so this is one of the problems with, with trying to uh, trying to do, do the investigation in the field is that there's not even a, a ground ground uh, grounded consensus on what these things are an agreed upon approach exactly right. and 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 so and I mean, you, there are similarities there are are some agreements but you're right there's not like a, a a university formulated methodology that's taught that, well, that everybody uses. well right i mean you know uh, so you know like for example bigfoot is 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 you know we'll, we'll go with that so as you mentioned um many people including uh friends of mine um uh, and people who hate me as well, uh, think that Bigfoot is, is a relic hominid. Uh, and that, that is one of the more popular uh, beliefs is that it's uh, this sort of, you know, this, this branch in the, in the human evolution that somehow, uh, is, is separate from us. And they're, you know, and there, again, there has to be a breeding population. There has to be, depending on who you talk to tens of thousands of them. So, which, which by itself is a bit strange. Cause then the question is, well, where are all of them? Not just where is it? But where are the thousands of them and why aren't they found and this and that? Uh, but at the same time, you also have people in the in the Bigfoot community. And to be fair, they are they do, do tend to be marginalized. But there are people and, and I've spoken to them who believe that Bigfoot is some interdimensional creature. And they say, well, that th there you go. <laughs> There's your answer. That's why we haven't found one It's because every time they're about to be captured or killed, they just blip into another dimension. And, sure. and, and they're gone. And of course, the problem here is that if you're going to open that door, if, 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 
the you know it, it's the black box. I mean, God did it. It could be, it could be a miracle. I mean, if 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 that's your out, if if you're going to say this is not something that is in the real world, uh, it's not subject to you know to environmental pressures and and genetic pressures and that. If 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 that's honestly your answer is that well, it's it's basically magic, then yeah. then okay, well. <laughs> Then it, it, it could be anything, and so that that's so the, the 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 real key here is that that's not a falsifiable proposition. So in science and critical thinking, we need falsifiable propositions. That is propositions and claims that can be proven right or wrong, right? And so if 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 Bigfoot are real, uh, then and they're actual living, breathing animals, not not you know, a figment of imagination, not some interdimensional thing, but they're actually things that eat and breathe and, you know, have babies and this and that, and, and most people believe that's true, or the big mm -hmm. believers do, then we have to go with a certain set of assumptions. Uh, and, and you see the same thing with the Chupacabra, right? Where, uh, where it's sort of across the map in terms of what people think that they are, or certainly originally. And, uh, and again, I, I can talk about it later now if you want, but one thing that's happened with the Chupacabra is that the, the public's idea of what a Chupacabra is has greatly expanded over time. So yeah. originally, um, the original Chupacabra, uh, and you have a perfect, good job, thank you. <laughs> you save me some, uh, see the original Chupacabra is what you're seeing there on the screen. Uh, well, that's for, for, the listener, for the listeners, can you describe the Chupacabra? Yes, certainly. So, so the original Chupacabra, that is the very first time that anybody saw something that would later come to be known as the Chupacabra. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. she saw it right away. It didn't say, hi, I'm a Chupacabra. That, that's not what happened. Yeah, not anyway. for you. Sure. Yeah. Yes. But so basically, um, so the, the, the very first Chupacabra witness was a woman named Madeline Tolentino uh, mm -hmm. of, of Puerto Rico who lived in, in Canovanas and in, in San Juan, not, not too far. In fact, she was there last time I saw her. And she claimed, and I can get into the whole, I can get into her, her original sighting, uh, in, in some depth, but she, she claimed that in August of 1995, she saw a bipedal spiky backed creature with mm -hmm. wraparound sort of alien, alien type eyes. Uh, and it sort of had, uh, had long fingers and, and, and toes um, and sort of uh, no, no mouth or very small mouth and just sort of two little nostrils, two little uh, holes for nostrils. And she said it was between three and five feet tall. So not, not a huge thing, sort of actually relatively small, but otherwise fairly humanoid. But yeah. one thing that she, she was very, very clear on was that it had a very distinctive row of spikes on the back, which right. is why to this day, if you do a Google search for images for the Chupacabra, most mm -hmm. of them, not all of them, but most of them have this very distinctive set of spikes. And so this is what she described seeing um, uh, outside her home, literally, um, on the, yeah. on this day. And she was unsure the, what the spikes were. They could have been feathered yes. or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. She said she, she sort of gave, she gave the differing descriptions. Uh, she said, well, they were definitely, they were spikes, but they were sort of like feathery or feathery spikes. So they had like striations. So yeah. she sort of said, well, they're, they're spikes, but they have little, you know, you can see little lines in it like feathers. But again, she didn't she didn't touch them or anything. So she's just going by what she saw. But she very, very distinctly and repeatedly and very clearly said that it had these this row of spikes down the back. And that was one of the clues that I honed in on, because um, taking her at her word and let me 
let me be clear, you know, no one else saw this with the possible exception of her mother. And that, that's sort of a separate issue. Uh, but her mother was, was aged at the time and infirm and I couldn't interview her and nobody else did. So essentially, uh, and she, uh, again, uh, the, she actually gave sort of two slightly contradictory versions of, of the account. Uh, but mm -hmm. the, the main, I'll just go with the main one. And the main one is that she saw this thing literally outside her, her front door, uh, outside a window. Uh, in, in my book, uh, Tracking Chupacabra, I have a photograph of her um, at, at that window. It's actually, I was like, show me where where, the, where you saw this thing. And okay. she's very happy and very happy to show it. Anyway, so so one, one key here is that no one else saw this, right? It was broad daylight, middle of the afternoon, a day, a day in August. No other cars came by. No one else saw it. She just saw it for, she said, a few minutes and then, then, it, and then it took off. And... And so one question I originally had was, uh, what else could it have been, right? So, so, and, and so, let me let me say that when I when I talk to eyewitnesses, when I, whether it's Bigfoot eyewitnesses or ghost eyewitnesses or Chupacabra witnesses, I tend to assume, sometimes wrongly, but I tend to assume that they're being truthful to me. There are with liars they, with what they report. Yes, yes. So, so that 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 doesn't. To be clear, that doesn't mean that they are accurate in what they saw, but it means they sincerely and genuinely believe and are reporting to me as best they can from mm -hmm. their memory and everything else what they saw. So, again, there are exceptions. I have come across liars and hoaxers and fakers, and th there's some of those. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, as somebody who has spent nearly 20 years interviewing eyewitnesses on all sorts of weird stuff, including monsters, most people are sincere. They're like, yeah, this is this is what I saw. And and you know, so I and, and again, having a background in psychology, I I'm aware of some of the different reasons why th there may be misperceptions and, and illusions, things like that. So it doesn't mean they're mm -hmm. stupid, doesn't mean they're crazy. It just means that humans are fa are fallible and we don't always perceive things accurately. We don't always remember things accurately, and we don't always report things accurately. So there's there's a there are many different stages between somebody seeing something that they don't recognize and later telling someone else this is this is what i saw they're, so they're they're at each stage reporting memory descriptions uh, things like mm -hmm. that their their errors in, are introduced and again i'm i'm not saying i'm not saying anything that psychologists don't know mm -hmm. um but this this is this is important to keep in mind so anyway getting back to the original description so one one of the first things i had to look into was is there anything native to the area that she could have mistaken it for um because uh, sometimes you know someone will describe some uh, some mysterious creature to me and there are actually animals that under certain conditions at night or whatever else could be mistaken for this this creature well, in the, case of the description i mean what what could it be <laughs> well well ex exactly right so the answer is that uh there's there's literally no animal like this in the world uh, they're just not. So again, she described it as being bipedal. Well, that that right there rules out most animals. There are very few animals that are bipedal, or I mean, or can be bipedal. Like, or can temporarily, like, temporary, a, like bears a can things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, there's there's no bears in 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 in, in El Yunque uh, rainforest near there. Anyway, so I I, I and raccoons are too cute on their two on their two feet. So they are adorable, aren't they? Oh, let me tell you. So anyway, so I I quickly. I quickly realized that whatever she saw, mm -hmm. it almost certainly was not an ordinary animal 
that she again this was in broad daylight this was not you know near dusk you know in the woods this was broad yeah. daylight um and and I, I do want to add one thing which is that she told me that she had just woken up right before she she saw this thing and i i found that telling um i there was there was something like oh i woke up and then i saw this like wow okay that's a, I, that's well did that's she a, wake did she wake up because she heard something or well she be awake and she she actually again she, she actually gave two slightly contradictory descriptions uh i interviewed her um in i think uh, 2010 uh so i interviewed her, her in person i met her um she seemed nice and very friendly uh she, I, I i believe she's sincere um mm -hmm. i didn't feel like she's hiding anything uh but she 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 did demonstrably give two significantly di different um descriptions of what happened uh she gave one uh to to researchers uh in, in 1996 mm -hmm. so shortly after her account uh, after her sighting to to the the ufo group i mentioned earlier and she gave us similar but in important ways different description to me uh some some you know uh, 15 years later um what was, what was the difference in the description well, there's actually a couple. Um, uh, so I, I, it, it would honestly take 20 minutes to. I'll, I'll sort of give you a couple. So in, in yeah. one in in one description, in sort of the in, if you go back to her to to there's a book called uh, Chupacabras um, by a guy named Scott Corrales, and in in Corrales's book he he uh, he has uh, he he transcribes and has uh, published interviews with with uh, Tolentino. Uh, by this alien uh, UFO group. It was mm -hmm. incredibly valuable to me, and I, I'm very grateful to Scott for doing that. Um, he doesn't agree with my conclusions, I might add, and he he and he and declined to be interviewed for my book, which is unfortunate because... Um, anyway, so uh, in, in that original book, if you, if you read uh, the, the description, she has this whole story about how... Um, she uh, she was woken up because uh, she and her mother at, were near this big plate glass window, and um, and there was a, a man parking or trying to park in her driveway, and she got up because she's like, "What's this guy doing in my driveway?" And he sort of backed in, backed out, and so mm -hmm. she was drawn to the window by the, by seeing this this car parking in her driveway, uh, and that's when she noticed right in front of the window which I don't know how she didn't see it before, but right in front of the window was this, what would later be called a chupacabra, this three foot tall bipedal spiky backed alien weird looking thing. Yeah. And in her original story, um, she, uh, she, she, she freaked out. Uh, and her husband uh, had a, a young boy who worked with him. I, I think he works on cars, if I'm not mistaken, he's a mechanic. And she claimed, and this is all in writing, I'm not making this up. If you, if you look in her original report, she claimed that the young boy chased the chupacabra into a field, pried its mouth open, looked at its teeth, and then it ran away. Um, she told me a different story <laughs> in 2010. That's well, okay, so the, the question then is, did somebody else mistell her story? No, this this is her direct quote. This is th these are okay. this. So this is these are her quotes from her. This is not sort of this is not someone else summarizing her story. When you met her, did you ask her about the the different stories? Uh I did. I didn't want to be confrontational. Um, 
so uh, and, well, I mean, forensic isn't necessarily confrontational. You're just kind no, of no, no. I agree, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not averse to to asking people difficult questions. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, I asked her, and she, she kind of evaded the question. Um, and mm-hmm. I said, well, anyway, so so contrast that with the story that she told me. And again, I have this on on record. I mean, I have recordings of it. This is this is all documented as well. And the, the story that she told me is much simpler and less dramatic. She says that she woke up and she was there with her mother, her, her aging mother. Uh, and she saw this thing and she looked it over very carefully, which is why her description is very, very uh, detailed. She describes uh, its lack of an anus. She described its lack of genitalia. She describes mm-hmm. the, the feathers. Uh, the, the She has this very remarkably detailed description of this thing that she says was right in front of her. She's actually looked down. She said she actually knelt down and looked to see if it had any genitals uh, and then joked with her mother about it, which again, is kind of odd. Anyway, she claims that, um, that soon after that happened, it, well, she described it in a different way. She said it hopped and flew away. And I said, well, did it hop or did it fly? Cause if it's hopping, it's touching the ground. Or did it fly without touching the ground? She's like, well, it kind of did both. Well, so I can understand that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't put a lot of weight in that, but the the, yeah. the important that one of the more important parts of the story is mm-hmm. that in the version she told me, there was no guy parking a car in front of her house who would have seen this thing. There was no husband's uh, teenage apprentice who tracked this thing down. And opened its mouth to look at its teeth mm-hmm. for whatever reason, right? So, so in her original story, there, in yeah. theory, if that story is true, there should have been at least five eyewitnesses. In the story that she told me, there was one eyewitness, basically her. And it's interesting that since that, again, this was this was in '95. Since that time, uh, nobody else has come forward. Like nobody's ever said, yeah, I was the guy in that car or I was the teenager that, that, you know, and it doesn't make sense, right? You're a, you're a teenage kid. You see this scary looking thing that could be alien or terrifying. It's got these teeth and, Mm -hmm. and you chase it into a yard and open its mouth. I mean, it just, her story didn't make any sense. It's very bizarre, but then, okay. I'm totally, I'm breaking the rules here with not (laughs) not going to break, but so you, but you earlier said that you believed her or you sensed that she was telling the truth. So how, how do you get that feeling that she's being uh, sincere, authentic, and yet you're getting these different stories? Well, um, again, it kind of goes back to, to my background in psychology, right? Is that I'm used to dealing with people who are excited. They're, they're frightened. They're describing a situation under which they're, they're freaked out. They're like, Oh my God, you know, I saw this ghost. I saw this, this, this lake monster in front of me. And so they're, they're giving these, these very, uh, you know, compelling descriptions. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, even though she said things that were categorically and provably contradictory, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, so so I, I I have no objective third party proof. There's no one else saw this. There's no photographs of it. There's no records of it. It's just her 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 experience shortly after waking up, which which again is 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 part of the part of the key here. So, um, so, now, could, so that's part of it. Be, so, could it be? Uh, 
because when you and I have an, a, an experience, a heightened experience, um, perhaps something that scares us or something that enthralled us, and we might have a dream about it the next night or the same night. Could it be that she kind of melded a real experience, dreamt about it, and then kind of confused herself as to what aspects were real, and then later kind of thought through it and was like, no, this was this is what happened to me originally. I remember that that part clearly. Absolutely. Um, that's I think that's exactly what happened. And in, in, in psychology, uh, the, we have a word for that, which is called confabulation. And it's basically right. where people um, and it, again, it's not pathological. It's not it doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't it just it's something that honestly, everybody does it at some point. It's, it's we all do. Yeah, we all do all the time. And we we, we misremember things. Uh, I mean, I, I remember a couple of times I, I remember describing to somebody a being at a place where they're like, you weren't there. It's like, no, but I remember like you weren't at that birthday party. I know for a fact you weren't there because and I'm like, oh my God, you're right. It's like, but I, I remember being there. It's like either, so either I confused it with a different birthday party or is a different year or whatever it is. But so yeah. I'm saying something that I sincerely believe and mm -hmm. that I, I, I think is true. But but it was based in truth. It's basically yeah, it's based in truth. Because you were um, there at one point. So yeah, yeah. And anyway, so I, I can I can I can reveal where the chupacabra came from, or we can take a break, whatever you want. Yeah, let's we'll take a break. We'll come back. We have a question from UFOT when we come back on the other side of this break. This is Alan B. Smith for Paranormal now on the Paranormal Pop YouTube channel and rebroadcast on the UnX network. We will see you on the inverted upside down. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
This coffee is delicious. Is that a UFO? I'm actually seeing a UFO. This coffee is awesome. That's why they call it alien coffee bean. <laughs> is this even made on Earth? Hey all, Paranormal Now will be syndicated on the UnX network, the new mainstream, where you can find your favorite hosts and shows on the cutting edge of ufological and paranormal news and topics. Listen for Paranormal Now, rebroadcast on the X at 2 a.m. EST Fridays, 11 p.m. PST Thursdays at unxnetwork.com. Welcome back to Paranormal Now. This is your host, Alan P. Smith, streaming to you live from the YouTube channel, ParanormalPop, youtube.com slash ParanormalPop. And the music taking us out of the break was the brilliant music by Septembrio. If you want to find out more about them, that's Septembrio, spelled with a Y, dot com. And tonight, we have so much more in this last hour to cover with my guest, Ben Radford. Uh, ben, do you believe in anything? <laughs> paranormal um uh well to quote one of my favorite films moulin rouge i believe in love um and that's I, that's paranormal man that that's the real deal it absolutely is yeah. no i mean you know um you know i i i i believe in i, I believe in things for which i find good evidence and yeah. again that's just sort of as a basic premise and so i I try to approach everything from a skeptical point of view. Now, skeptical doesn't mean cynical or dismissive or debunking. It just means if you want me to believe something, you have to give me good reason to believe it. And I don't just apply this to chupacabras and ghosts and, and psychic detectives and crop circles. I apply this across the board. So it, it's, um, you know, it's, um, it's a question, you know, it's like if you're, Anytime that somebody is trying to get you to do something or believe something or mm -hmm. buy something, whatever it is, um, to vote a certain way, to do, to, to take your pick, they yeah. should give you good reasons to do that. They should, they should give you good evidence. And so, there, so skepticism, as I practice it, uh, it's not some sort of weird, cynical, negative worldview. It's simply mm -hmm. saying, hey, um, I, you know, I, I'm an independent thinking person. Uh, and if you want me to, before I jump on the train and before I give you my vote or, or give you my money, um, you pr prove it to me. Show me that you're worth uh, my time and interest in, in investment. Yeah. And so that that's sort of the, 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 the approach that I take. And so, you know, uh, so I, I believe in lots of different things. There are certainly things that I think to, 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 to get to the what you really probably were trying to say was in terms of like un unusual mysterious things. And so there's sure. there, there's a couple examples. I'll, I'll give a quick a couple quick ones. Um 
So I, um, I'll, I'll give you one example. So I was in, I was in Newfoundland, uh, Canada, about maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was there actually to do a couple things. Among them was to look into uh, um, what are called lobsters, which are mysterious carcasses that have washed up uh, all around the world on beaches, uh, oftentimes in places uh, that have the word new in them, such as New Zealand and Newfoundland. Just a little bit of trivia there. Um, and also giant squid, because uh, I was interested in giant squid. And there actually turned out to be a, a one of the world's best preserved giant squids uh, in this uh, in this place um, in, in St. John's. Anyway, so I'm there uh, with my girlfriend. And uh, anytime I'm traveling outside the country, it's probably going to be investigation somewhere. Just because, like, my friends and family, they just know. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. Ben's going to find something weird to look at. Just let him do it. Let him let it get it out of system. And then we'll, we'll go back. Well, to that. I mean, you, you spent all the money and the time and when are you going to go back? I mean, you might exactly. As well take exactly. So anyway, so, so I, I'm in Newfoundland, by the way, a beautiful place. If anybody go check out Newfoundland, it's, it's a beautiful cold pack, 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 pack a jacket in a True. beautiful place. So among the places I went was a place called Lake Crescent. And uh, I'm driving this this highway, um, and uh, there's this. I, I come across this what looks to be like a, a sculpture of a dragon, not a real mm-hmm. well done one, I have to confess, but a sort of you know a a high schooler's idea of what a dragon might look like if they had 200 bucks in, in a weekend. Um, and so I, of course, I'm like, well, there, I got to pull in here. So long story short, turns out that there is a local lake monster in Lake Crescent called Cressy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, you're talking my, you're talking my stuff. I, I co, I co-authored a book titled Lake Monster Mysteries uh, with uh, Joe Nickel mm-hmm. uh, on lake monsters, so I'm, I'm familiar with it. And uh, so I, I begin interviewing people who have seen uh, Cressy, the, the, the monster there, and, and I quickly realized that, um, that there's something sort of distinctive about it. Now, in, in, in various lake monsters, oftentimes there's con- commonalities, right? Because by virtue of what it is, that is a, a surface of a lake, you're you're only seeing part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just by on land, of course, you see you see the usually you, unless it's behind trees or something, you you see the entire whatever it is, the, the entire elephant, the entire bear, the entire whatever. Yeah. In water, it's a different story because because pretty much by definition, you're not seeing all of it, and and this is one reason why oftentimes. Things can be mistaken for for monsters. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I was I was look, doing some research into Cressy, and I found the descriptions tended to describe something that was sort of long and sort of flat, and sort of shiny like like eels, and um and and dark dark in color. Uh, either, Couldn't uh, that be a catfish too? Uh, possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. I, and and there's, there are actually other other uh, fish in in various lakes. A sturgeon, uh, catfish. People don't realize how big these things get. I there's like if you haven't seen them, they're the just monstrous thing. A gar. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so well, I, I, in Valley we have uh, Kipsy, um, yeah, which is likely you know a fish of some sort. Yeah, and they just, mm-hmm. just you know you, you see these things, and and again you if you're if you're not expecting them, and even if you yeah. are expecting them, it can look a lot like like a monster. And so I asked uh, a person there, I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, I noticed that uh, that many of the descriptions of Cressy look like eels. He's like, yeah. I was like, so 
are there giant eels in the lake? He's like, oh yeah, big ones, huge eels. I was like, huh. Okay. Um, I'm just spitballing here. Is it possible that Cressy is one or more giant eels? He's like, oh yeah, 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 that could be. I can't, I can't do the Newfoundland accent, but um, and so uh, so that was really enlightening to me because on one hand, it is it is a known lake monster. It, you can find it mentioned in books. At the mm -hmm. same time, it's a little sort of wink and a nod, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's our lake monster. And of course, the, the dragon they have at the entrance of town looks nothing like the giant eels in the lake. Where I'm going with this story is that, is that you know, is there a, a monster in that lake? Kind of? I mean, to the extent that a giant ass eel couldn't be considered a monster, then yes, right? Uh, another example I'll give you is uh, is in psychology, where you we have, you know, there are people that that sort of sense things and they don't know how they sense them. Um, and in psychology, uh, there, I mean, there's different explanations for it, but basically, it's it's like it's not really like a, a, a sixth sense, but there's like this notion of how you can know something and not know how or why you know that. And that can be sort of like, oh, my God, how, how did I know that? Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the fact is that, that you know, when we're talking to people and we're in situations, we pick up cues from the environment. So sure. even though you and I might be at a party and I, I, might, I might not physically notice my ex-girlfriend come in the room, um, part of me is processing that, even though it's out from, outside my field of vision. And if somebody later asked me, "Oh, did you did you see that? Um, did you see that the Susan's there?" I'm like, "I I think I, I didn't see her, but you know, I, I I think so." And so, so I think that there could be some truth to that. But I would say that there is a rational psychological explanation instead of a supernatural explanation. So I would say I, I think that's true, but in both the cases I described, there is. There's, there is a, a, an explanation for it, if that makes sense. If it's an, a psychic occurrence from a distance, not in the same room where you're not reading each other. Sure. Um, well, I mean, do you, do you at least entertain the idea that the universe, as it unfolds, um, is far more bizarre than you know we would have assumed you know a couple hundred years ago? And is it possible that, you know, somehow humans can connect psychically, that there is some sort of way that the brains can send some sort of signal, you know, to one another? Um, uh, the, the answer is yes. Anything is possible. Um, I'm just saying based on your understanding of, of physics or theoretical physics as we know it and, and, and what, you know, how science has kind of evolved. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing to keep in mind about these things is that, uh, and, and actually there, there's actually a, a logical fallacy uh, that's associated with this. It's mm -hmm. called retreat to the possible. And it's the idea that we do all the time, Ben, right yeah, here on Paranormal Now. There you go. Right. <laughs> you're right there. You're, you're ahead of it. You're, you're exhibit one on Wikipedia. Right. So 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 literally there's nothing that someone could say to you or me and say, isn't it possible that? And the answer is, yeah, I, it is possible. There, 
science cannot prove that that Bigfoot doesn't exist. Kind of, you know, there, there's there's no nobody can ever say that X is is categorically impossible. And and if they do say that, they're flat out wrong. Because right. what's what's important to me is not just is it possible, but is it possible and how. That, well, that's, right. that's the most interesting right. part of it. Right. So you get you get into the questions about the mechanism, right? And so, but but mm -hmm. the key here is that is that because of the fallacy of retreat to the possible, um, mm -hmm. that's not a valid question. The question is not is it po is anything possible? Because the answer is always yes. No matter what you say, the answer is yes. This is possible. Sure. That's mm -hmm. not the question. The question that should be asked is: Is there good evidence for this? And that's a different question. And, and, you know, if we're talking, for example, about, about psychic abilities, um, mm -hmm. people have been trying to prove psychic abilities for decades. Uh, the Ryan Institute did that. You had, you know, people using Gansfeld experiments and random number generators. Uh, you mm -hmm. have people who, who claim to be psychic detectives who I've, I've investigated extensively. Um, so there, there are, so it, it's not as if, it's not as if this hasn't been tested. It's not as if there is no precedent. There, it's not as if we don't have data. We do have data. We have data on people trying to uh, douse for water. We have data on psychic detectives and whether they can actually find missing people. We have data on whether people can accurately predict random numbers and predict the future and remote view. Th mm -hmm. These are not subjects for which we, we, don't, we don't have data. We do have data. And the data that we have uh, doesn't doesn't lend itself to that conclusion. I do have a, well, I had a, a family member that could douse, and that's literally how they got well water. Mm -hmm. it's, it, I mean, maybe it's coincidence they just got lucky. Well, um, you know, there there's different types of dowsing, of course. I mean, there, then so did was it was it water? You said water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, did they try to douse for oil or gold or anything else? No, 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 no. A farmer. Oh, well, mm -hmm. why, why didn't the farmer douse for gold? Uh, that would have been, that would have been, if you're going to douse for water or gold, I'd go for the gold. Well, cause well, that's not the society there. That's the, the small little village. It, it, it's not, they weren't of that mindset. I'm going to go out right. and hunt for gold. Right. No, I, I wasn't being facetious, <laughs> but I mean, look, look, but that's also kind of like, if, if that's in, it's kind of in line with the, if it's possible, you know, why not? Um, well, I think well, it's right, just, but, but, but with learn a skill set by chance. I mean, maybe he didn't think to apply it to. No, but, no, but, but here, here's the problem is that, um, is that, is that there are ways to test whether dowsing works or not. And I've been, I've been involved in dowsing tests and, mm -hmm. and the reason that you need control tests for dowsing, uh, ideally double blind test is because if you dig deep enough, there's water everywhere. Right, uh, right. Yeah. right. So, so, so he, here's the problem. And again, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on. I'm just saying this is the problem with people who say, "Well, I know for a fact dowsing works because you know I, I was in a place and the the, the twig, you know, or the, the thing is crossed, and we dug there, and you know what? I was absolutely right. We found water. Okay. Well, the fact that you found water does not mean that you were right uh, about dowsing. It just means that 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 you happened to dig in that spot and uh, it could have been, and, and keep in mind here, is that is that typically with dowsers, right, is that there's one spot where the, either the twig dips or the, the L rods cross. Mm -hmm. 
So, so Alan, tell me where they don't dig. Where they don't dig? Right. We 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 know where, where they do where dig, right? We the know doesn't respond, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what's so from a, from an experimental scientific point of view, what's the problem with not digging where the dowsing rod doesn't respond? Uh, right, but well, because they're going on the presupposition that they're using an instrument that is telling them, you know, them being the instrument intertwined with. So from their perspective, it's why would I dig anywhere else? It doesn't make sense. Exactly, but the, and that's that's what I'm it's talking like, about. Like trying to find like a stud in a wall. I mean, I could look for you know studs anywhere, but if I'm going to use a stud finder, then that's where I'm going to. Okay, let, let me yeah. phrase it. Let me phrase it differently. Sure. Um, let's say you're a dowser, and mm-hmm. you tell me uh, just to sort of bring it more 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 concrete. You you're a dowser. You tell me I know the dowsing works because I've used it many times and. Uh, we dug our, our well in the backyard because we went to this place and the dowsing rods crossed and that's where we dug the well and we found water. And I say to you, okay, um, so everywhere else in your yard, you you said there wasn't water, right? Because you, you found the one spot where there was water, but you didn't dig in the places where you didn't think there was water. And it's entirely possible, if not probable, that had you dug there, you would have found water. And well, and you're seeing based based on the fact that water is everywhere. Well, well, not only is water everywhere, but the problem is that you don't have a control group. Uh, let me give you one, one quick example because this is this no. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, because let's say you you were to have someone douse, and then you could scan the ground afterwards, and then prove like, hey, there's water over here. Why didn't you dig over there? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I'll give you one quick example because it's a fun one. I was in Ecuador in the jungles of Ecuador one time on the equator. And I wrote about this in one of my books, uh, Big Give True. And it, it's a quick story, but it, it, it's exactly about this. So uh, the, the legend is that on the equator and only on the equator, can mm-hmm. you balance an egg on a, on a nail? Uh, and this, this is the idea that, you, that there's something about the equator being mysterious or this trick of force or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I was there uh, with a friend of mine and my father. Again, this is years back. And the our tour guide was very like, hey, everybody, this is the equator. Here's a little monument. Look, I'm balancing an, an egg here. And I was like, oh, wow, this is they're taking photographs and they're there and they're, you know, try it yourself. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm like, this is not a this is not actually a thing. There's no there's no there's no there's no physics. There's no logic behind this. But I didn't want to interrupt the, the tour guide, and I didn't want to be the, the nasty skeptic. So I was just like, okay, fine, whatever. This is all cool. I got a photograph. But then we left the equator, and we went back to our camp, which is several miles away. And before dinner that night, uh, I, I asked the guide, say, hey, can I, can I borrow the egg and the, and the, the thing there? Um, I want to see if I can make the egg balance. And he said, well, you, you can't do it. And I said, well, how do you know? How do you know you can't do it? He's like, well, because it's not on the equator. I, I said, I know, but if you haven't tried, then right, we don't right. know that you can't do it. So let me borrow the egg. And he's like, oh, knock yourself out. You're not going to be able to do it. And mm-hmm. sure enough, within a few minutes, I balanced the egg somewhere other than the equator. And it was, uh, again, the, the, the lesson here is that he was astonished. He's like, oh, there's some sort of trick. I'm like, there's no trick. You can do this anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 were so convinced that this could only happen right. in this one place, 
You didn't mm -hmm. hide it anywhere else. Right. No, I, I get that approach totally, but I, you know, but that's why if you were really to, like you said, do a double blind study, that's the only way to get down to the truth one way or another. Either way, it's, it's just pure speculation. What ifs and what ifs. Well, no, no, um, you're exactly right. But, but again, we, there, we, we have conducted double blind studies of dowsers. I mean, that has been done. I've, I've been parts of Richard Saunders. Not this dowser, Ben. Not this dowser. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> you, you got me, Alan. Not this right. bigger dowser. All right, so uh, the question. Point, point conceded. Uh, <laughs> we have a question from uh, UFOT. Ben, in your research, have you noticed any tie between Santa Muerte and Chupacabra? I am seeing murals of them together. Uh, great pronunciation, by the way, there, Alan. Um, oh, um, uh, I don't know any particular connection other than they're, the, they are both um, Hispanic-related um, iconic imagery. Now, keep, mm -hmm. again, keep in mind that uh, the, you know, Santa Muerte... Um, I don't know a lot about it. My understanding it's it's primarily a, a, a Mexican uh, tradition, uh, and of course, Puerto Rico is not is not Mexico. It's 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 you know, part of the U.S. And so you have this this interesting conflation, this sort of lumping together, right? Where you have, I, and I, I've even met Mexicans who are like, "Yeah, chupacabras ours." I'm like, "No, I'm sorry, it's, like, it's no. not yours." But <laughs> yeah. but 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 in a way, it doesn't matter because. Because you know the, the chupacabra basically belongs to everybody at this point. It does now, yeah. It, it's become commodified. It's cute. It's fuzzy. And this is one thing I find so fascinating about chupacabra, is is that you have what was originally this scary, evil, frightening, literally blood sucking creature, mm -hmm. and now you have these cute furry chupacabras that they're little kids' toys and things like that. Um, and uh, anyway, so yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say it's it, it's all part of the you know the the commodification of, of of monsters and boogeyman. And I saw the same thing. For example, I investigated um, uh, the the lake monster Ogopogo in Lake Okanagan, British Columbia, and you you saw the same thing. You had you had uh, what was originally allegedly this terrifying beast that would uh, attack people and and kill and this and that. At the same time, you could buy these cute little worm, worm-looking, you know, uh, lake monsters in, um, in in the tourist shop. So, it's 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 all it, you know. Everybody uses these 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 images and the the chupacabras and and these other things for their own purposes. Um, and that's one thing that's that's fascinating about it. Well, the, the original chupacabra, which we have here um, on screen. Uh, where did the story split off? When did it start changing? Sure. And going away from the origin story. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm summarizing a 200 and some page book. So so bear with me if I I'll try and I'll try and encapsulate it. But yeah. And by the way, Ben, where can people get the book? Yes, people can buy the book. I always encourage people to get uh, at local bookstores. Um, sadly, that's not always possible. Oh, uh, you can find it at Amazon.com and elsewhere. Uh, tracking the chupacabras from the University of New Mexico Press. Um, anyway, so so to, to, to go back to like to the evolution of, of the chupacabra. So uh, I'll sort I'll, I'll sort of give it to you in a nutshell. So uh, so the one one big reveal that I haven't explained so far is where did the original chupacabra come from? Because that was sort of the key question, right? I had spent at that point three years researching the chupacabra. I interviewed eyewitnesses. I went uh, on location in in Cuero, Texas, for a um, uh, for for a TV show. I, I talked to a medical pathologist. I, I basically tracked down all the chupacabra 
stories and photographs and alleged carcasses that I could find. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a pretty good idea of, of what the story was about the Chupacabra, but there was one big thing that was missing. And that was, where was its origin? Why did the Chupacabra first emerge in 1995, Puerto Rico? Why not 1978, Spain? Or 1900, uh, Italy? Or, you know, 2005, uh, Boston? And the answer is that, again, it goes back to the original first eyewitness. Uh, and it, it's, un, it's unusual to be able to track down a single original key eyewitness. There's, there's, there's usually a handful of, 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 of cases where there's a, a famous sighting. For example, in, in Bigfoot, you have the Patterson-Gimlin film from 1967, mm -hmm. which is, of course, the famous film. The other reports as well, um, Albert Osman and others. Uh, but with the Chupacabra, I was able to track down and interview uh, the first eyewitness, which was really useful. And so yeah. because the Chupacabra had, had only emerged fairly recently uh, in my yeah. investigation, I tracked her down. So basically, in a nutshell, what had happened was that she had actually seen a movie called Species. Uh, and it's, it was an, it, the, the film had actually come out uh, shortly before, before her sighting in Puerto Rico. And as it turned out, and I, I modestly will say that I'm the first person to, to connect the dots here, uh, I realized that, um, that, that her description of the Chupacabra uh, was very, very closely paralleled by her own admission. I didn't put words in her mouth. She herself said that the Chupacabra that she, that she saw looked a lot like this, this, this monster that she saw in this horror film, Species. With mm -hmm. Ben Kingsley and Michael Madsen and uh, Natasha Henstridge as the part-time Canadian model, part-time <laughs> evil creature, sure. and and again, I won't go into all details, but in the book, I, I lay it out very clearly. If you look at the the creature in the film, the, the monster in the film, in one form, she's this beautiful, somewhat occasionally naked uh, woman. In other words, she she is this alien-looking, spiky-backed creature that looked a lot like the chupacabra. And so what, what I'm convinced happened, uh, yes, there's a perfect, thank you. Uh, one, what I'm convinced happened, you can see, for example, here on the screen, you see the, the long limbs. You see the distinctive spikes and the feathery spikes that Tolentino described on its back. Uh, you, it's, not, it's not totally perfect, of course. Uh, but if you look, I mean, in this particular image, of course, she still has the human head. But if you, if you watch the film, it's a pretty well-known film. There were a couple sequels. Uh, and it actually, it's fascinating because the, the creature in the film was designed by H.R. Giger, uh, the, 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 the artist who also did the creature effects for Alien. And he's nice. famous for doing these really gothic things. Anyway, so it's this fascinating mix of how pop culture influences uh, eyewitnesses who sort of go in full circle and, 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 and you know, influence these, these, these pop culture uh, and the people's conceptions of the Chupacabra, because again, prior to her sighting, there was nobody ever that claimed to see the Chupacabra. Now, there were mysterious vampiric attacks, not just in, in Puerto Rico, but elsewhere, because again, the, the, the Chupacabra is partly a vampire. Again, that's, that's literally part of what it is. And so I needed to set the stage for explaining vampires and where this specific vampire came from. Okay. So, so anyway, I'll, I'll wrap this up. But basically, in, in a nutshell, so she saw this thing, and then uh, other people sort of latched onto it. It made the tabloids. It was on TV shows. It was later on the X Files. And then by two, by the year two thousand, so about five years, you, there was this occasional sightings of this this 
this Chupacabra figure. But then in the year 2000 was when everything changed. In, in, in 2000 was when we first see the, the, the dog-looking Chupacabra version, like the, 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 the canid version, dogs, coyotes, foxes. They basically look like mangy dogs. And that first appeared in 2000 in Nicaragua. And from then, it just sort of went on its own. It went on its own. Why did it change? For instance, uh, like this this illustration that you have here, right? This is in your book. And yes. this is much creepier. Much, looks much more like a lizard. Uh, yes, it does. There are other furrier versions of it. And then dog-like versions. Yeah. So how, how did we get to the to that you know, quad-head so kind of a animal? So he, the, and this, I, I, I just love this, obviously, because I, I spent all this time on it. I love talking about it. So this is a cool thing. So, everybody, everybody listening, uh, if you can see Ben's background, uh, it's very much like the basement office in X-Files. So he, he is. Yeah, I got a lot going on he's here. A deep diver for sure. Yeah, I, I, I am nothing if not a reader and researcher. I'm not always right, yeah. although usually I am. But I, 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 I have done due diligence in my investigations. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. So, so uh, Tolentino, Madeline Tolentino sees she sees this film species. Uh, mm-hmm. Within a week or two, she she wakes up from sleeping and believes that probably genuinely believes that she sees this thing outside her front door, outside her window, even though no one else saw it. And then she tells a couple of people, local UFO buffs on the island get wind of it. They're like, oh my god, this is you know this must be connected with UFOs or something. They latch onto it. And then so for a few years, uh, people saw but never found the version of the Chupacabra that she talked about. Again, spiky-backed, alien eyes, that sort of all sorts of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you had people reporting based on her sighting, which sort of, it was, it was, all, it was in the news. It was, the, the, the photo, the, the illustration you just showed was in newspapers. I mean, there were, people were, mm-hmm. were, were psychologically primed to see it and expected to see it. And, and you had people who were saying, Oh, you know, I heard about this Chupacabra thing. And, and, you know, the other night it was like, it was like, it was getting kind of late at night, but it was near a streetlight and this thing, it, I think it was that. And so they would, they would begin sort of describing this, the, these, these monsters that we know retroactively were almost certainly based on Tolentino's description, which was, which is put everywhere. So, so you had sightings, but nobody found any dead animals uh, that, that were assumed to be chupacabras. They were, mm-hmm. they were, you know, there were dogs that attack chickens because there are everywhere. You know, animal predation is universal. Sure. And but what happened was that they sort of latched. They said, "Okay, well, hold on, you." Because keep in mind that I told you what Tolentino described, right? I told you about the whole description. What didn't she say? She didn't mention blood. She didn't mention dead animals. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. She didn't mention sucking the blood of anything. She just said that she saw this weird looking thing um, and she didn't know what it was. And then, and this is where the, 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 the folkloric and the cultural part comes in. 
so then other people and other I, I, I can't name a specific person, but other people at that time assumed almost certainly wrongly, but they assumed that what Tolentino had seen was the same thing that was attacking chickens and goats um, across the island and elsewhere, even though that had been going on for, for years and years and years. But said, oh, there's this weird monster. She saw this thing. Oh, you know, there, there's, there was chickens that were killed, you know, just, you know, two miles away. It must yeah. be the same thing. So so people sort of latched onto this. And then, and then the, again, the turning point was in the year 2000 uh, when a rancher uh, named Jorge Talavera outside of Managua, the, the capital of Nicaragua, uh, was, uh, was uh, he, something was attacking his animals, his, his sheep uh, and cattle. And so he and a, and a farmhand uh, laid in wait to shoot whatever it was that was attacking their animals. Uh, they didn't know if it was the chupacabra, because, of course, by this point, the chupacabra had been around for four or five years. So people were talking about it. So it was in their minds. It could be that, but they didn't know. So, and I, I talk about this in the book. So, so the, 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 the rancher and his farmhand uh, laid, stayed up all night and they finally saw two animals attacking their, 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 their cattle. They shot at it and it, but it got away. The farmhand a couple of days later found, uh, found basically a, a mummifying dead dog uh, or coyote or, I mean, they didn't do DNA tests, but there was something like that. Yeah. And they assumed, probably wrongly, but they assumed that what they had shot was the same animal that had attacked the, an, the, 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 the cattle and livestock before that. And this was the first time that the chupacabra, anyway, so they quickly assumed they called the chupacabra and then the press got a hold of it. But that, was the, that case in Nicaragua in, in the year 2000 was the first time that somebody said the chupacabra didn't look like, you know, like, like this weird spiky back creature that Tolentino described, they said, mm -hmm. no, 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 it looks like this thin mangy dog thing. And then from there, and, and because suddenly the form of the chupacabra became this mangy canid, mangy canids are everywhere. They're in Texas, they're in Florida, they're in Oklahoma, they're here in New Mexico, they're everywhere. And so once it got in the public's consciousness that, oh, this is what the chupacabra looks like. Because again, this, suddenly we, we have a body, right? Before, when Tolentino described what she was seeing, there were there were sightings but no bodies. Here we had a body and fewer sightings. And once you have the bodies, and this goes back to what I was saying in, in the beginning, right? Is is that if these things are real, if these if these animals are, are, are actually out there, then then we should do, be able to do DNA testing, right? Because if you have bodies, then uh, well. This is a body. What the hell is it? Is it a chupacabra? Is it a coyote? Is it a raccoon? What the hell is it? And of course, we can answer these questions through genetic testing. Um, and that's sort of what happened. So that, that's sort of where the evolution came up. And then gradually, uh, as the years went on, you got this, again, ever-expanding version and idea of what the chupacabra is. So originally, it was a very, very specific, specific thing. It was this thing that Tolentino described, the spiky backs and all that. Then it becomes any dead four-legged animal looks like a dog or coyote. And then over the past, say, uh, say 10, 15 years, uh, any weird dead thing that somebody finds and can't immediately identify is a chupacabra, right? I've had people send me photographs oh. of raccoons. <laughs> there. Is this a chupacabra? No, it's a raccoon. So, so, so it, 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 it's, it's, it's sort of like 
you know, you know the word like Kleenex, where originally Kleenex refers to a specific brand, but now people just use Kleenex generically. The same mm -hmm. thing happened with their Chupacabra. The Montauk Monster, do you remember that? Yes, I remember the Montauk Monster. Right. So it, it sounds like that case. And I, for me, over the years, having heard the original Chupacabra story from the, from the get-go and kind of following it, um, when I saw those images of mangy dogs online and they say, oh, is it the Chupacabra? I mean, it was like, no, it's not the Chupacabra. That's nothing like the Chupacabra at all. Um, but somehow culture shifted it because what we were so desperate to uh, present evidence of it, or was it something else that's going on there psychologically? Well, th there's a couple things. Um, you know, keep in mind that uh, th that you know, for people who believe that the chupacabra exists, um, they have several several big problems. Um, one of them, of course, is the lack of evidence. Uh, we don't have any dead ones. We don't have live ones. There are a couple reputed chupacabra tracks, but nothing that is really credible. Um, photographs, uh, there's basically no photographs of chupacabra. You can you can occasionally see some sort of weird thing, but they're, they're inconsistent. They're all over the place. Again, it's just sort of this hodgepodge, this sort of everything is lumped together. Some weird thing is chupacabra. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so because of that, it's, it's sort of all over the place. So, so part of the problem they have is a lack of evidence. The other part of the problem they have is if I'm wrong mm -hmm. about where the chupacabra came from, and if I'm wrong um, about the fact that the, it, the original chupacabra basically came from a woman who mistook a, a, a horror film monster, then the question is, where are all the chupacabra reports before that time? Why aren't there chupacabra reports in 1976 in Texas, mm -hmm. in in you know in 1832 in Mexico, in in Puerto Rico in the, in the 60s? There are none. In fact, I've I've even offered a reward. I've yeah. I've offered cash money if you can find a published reference to a, a pre 1995 chupacabra uh, yeah. that is said to suck blood, and no one no one no one has has taken me up on it. Um, yeah, and but, I, when you say you offer money, you know. I, I, I know how people are probably some people are thinking. Um, I don't think that you're in that debunker category where it's a kind of a facetious act. I think you you seriously want evidence. You want uh, to know. Sure. You, you're very curious. That's that's what it seems to me. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, and it's, you know, I've thought about this because I, you know, I I want to be right. And I put a lot of time and effort into my Chupacabra research in my book and things like that. And mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, then I I want to be right. So show show me where I'm wrong. I will I will I will you know put out an a, a you know a new edition. I would I, I I'm not. Well, you you're the one that said if you're making money off of it, be careful, Ben. Yeah, I mean no, I mean it's like you, well you should see my author royalties. Let me tell you, <laughs> if you think no, I'm right. making money off off my books, then no, but I mean no, but but seriously, I generally, I mean I, I I'm not facetious at all. I mean I I yeah. if people have that, I I genuinely want to know. I I want to know what did I miss? How, how did I? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so but where I was going with this was that because there, as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong, as far as I can tell, mm -hmm. I have not found any any history of the chupacabra the believers have to manufacture a fake history which is why uh, i've i've come i actually wrote an article a couple years back in skeptical core magazine titled uh, pseudo histories of the chupacabra and it was fascinating because i again as as sort of the de facto world expert on this weird 
nuclear monster. Um, mm -hmm. I happen to know a lot about it. I've spent all this time on it, and I've got files behind me and all this. And 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 so and so I, I know where it came from. I, I'm, I'm conversant with literature, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I I can tell just by reading it that these stories, like, well, you know, this, this conquistador saw the chupacabra, like. <laughs> no, we didn't. I I looked at that reference. This is not it, right? So that brings up a good question. What what other folkloric uh, beasts or animals are out there that could have been sort of absorbed into the 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 chupacabra myth as we know it now? Um, that maybe evolved um, or you know living side by side. Well, he, here's the thing: Be, because the chupacabra is so new. I mean, again, it's it's literally it's, it's only goes back to '95. I mean, it didn't. It's 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 a it's a young it's a young little pup, you know, compared to Nessie and Bigfoot. These are the these are the old these are the old old geezers on the porch saying, "Get off my lawn." The chupacabra is the young kid thumbing their nose and spray painting, you know. Uh, so, you be, because the chupacabra is such a new recent monster, that 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 helped me do my research because look I, I i wouldn't be able to really definitively write about bigfoot there's just too much there there there's so much i witnessed look, there's hoaxes and and there's you know dermal ridges and i i'm i'm familiar with bigfoot evidence but yeah. there's so there's so much material out there i mean I, I i would spend i spent five years on this book i would spend 10 years trying to write the definitive book on Bigfoot, and I couldn't even do it then, so I wouldn't even try. But because of the data set was so small, hey, there's someone shouting in Winnipeg. Because the data set was, there was a finite number of, of, of cases and the finite number of eyewitnesses and the finite number, this made, it, this, made it, this made it small enough where, again, I didn't have to go back and find and track down my witness who saw the Chupacabra in 1971 and talk to him because... Ain't nobody who did that. So it was the so it was it was as more recent. So that was that was one of the things that made the chupacabra mystery more solvable. Well, my yeah, my question really is because Puerto Rico is uh, or, or or Mexico, but uh, you know has a very rich and complex, complicated history um, of of you know colonists and indigenous people, sure. and so. Is there something in the past? Is there some sort of mythological characters that maybe were drawn on in the development? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, no. You make a good point, and I think I so where you going. I mean, again, going back to the the inherent nature of the chupacabra being a blood sucking cree, a blood sucking mm -hmm. beast, and a vampire. Um, this is one of the one of the surprising things when I was researching the book. I, I honestly didn't expect to find this. But when I looked at the history of Puerto Rico, um, and as you mentioned, it, it's, it's basically a colony. It's not a state. Um, mm -hmm. The U.S. owns it, but, they, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, in Puerto Ricans, um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a little pissed about that. I'll just, I'll just be honest. Like, there's all, there's like infrastructure problems and, and, you know, yeah. they, 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 there's a genuine um, grievance against the United States. And, and I think that's right, rightfully so, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's it's, it's unwarranted, um, but I think that that drew from it. And so, so it was interesting when I was looking at, um, at at the chupacabra being a vampire, and again, keep in mind that one of the explanations for the chupacabra was that it was the results. One, it was the aliens, but the other one was that it was the results of top secret 
U.S. government genetic experiments gone wrong. Not the French, not the mm -hmm. Canadians, not the Russians, not the Brits, Americans. Right. And part of the reason was that there is a, a strong, latent, and sometimes not so latent, uh, antagonism towards towards the United States because many Puerto Ricans feel justifiably that we take the resources, uh, they're, they're not given voting rights, they're not given enough funds. Um, they're sort of feel, they feel like they're the the, the leftovers that they're, they're sort of forgotten about because yeah. because they're not even granted legitimacy of a state. And so there is a very I, I talk about this in one of my chapters. There, there's a very real sense that Americans uh, are vampirizing. The, the U.S. is vampirizing or mm -hmm. the, taking the resources from, if not blood, treasure, resources, take your pick from Puerto Rico. And the, the Chupacabra being a vampire and again, being associated in its origin story with with the um, with with the U.S., it all fit in. I mean, it was just right there. And and I'm not the one. Make, I didn't just make this up, man. I, I did a fair amount of research. I quoted a couple people, Lauren Derby. There were there were three or four scholars that 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 I quote um, who who talk about this this notion of vampirism. Um, and and when I read that, I'm like, oh my god, this, this is this is gelling right here. Yeah, and and so eating one's livestock is eating one eating up one's uh, livelihood, the resource, the resources. Yes, uh, absolutely. You just said that's interesting. Uh, UFOT says, Ben, I have a 1954 APRO case to send you from uh, Venezuela, very similar to your your drawing. Ben, how can people contact you? Yes, I'm around and about. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at. Uh, at at uh, BT Radford. Um, I, as you mentioned, I, I do the podcast Squaring the Strange. You can contact me through there. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm around and about and I'm always happy to look at new evidence and stuff. I, I you know, I love this stuff. I, I yeah, this is this is cool to me. So are you are you a podcast listener? You do your own, but I I I, I listen to some podcasts. I I honestly I and I feel badly about this. I'm just so busy. Um, I mean, I'm working full time, and I have a, a, another book coming out, and I have a podcast, and I'm currently also an adjunct professor at the University of Buffalo, teaching a course on um, science writing. Uh, so I. I, I listen to a few podcasts and not as much as I'd like to. Um, I, I'm ashamed to say, but. Well, I, I listen to some podcasts like I do books. Uh, I pick it up for a little bit and, and then put it down and get back to it later or move on to the next one. Just like, get, you know, I agree with you. You know, time is, 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 um, is a commodity. Uh, so uh, when you were younger, you were talking about going to the library, right. And like picking up, stacks of books and, and, and taking them out. Um, what do you do now when you're, when you're reading and researching? I I'm still a, a, a dead tree guy. Um, I, I have some, uh, but I, as, as you may be able to tell behind me, I, um, I have a couple eBooks. Honestly, I, I spend too much of my time in front of a computer in front of a screen anyway. So I, um, that's that's what I do. I, I I love the feel of paper. I like writing notes in the margins. Um, and so when, when I drop dead, there's going to be a library of stuff for the margins that out there. Yeah. So that's what I do. Uh, I, I love to research. I um, again, I do the podcast, Growing the Strange. I, I write articles. I have another book coming out in in about two months titled America, the Fearful uh, from McFarland mm -hmm. Publishers. And it's about uh, mass media and the marketing of national panics. And about mm. how um, 
politicians and activists and advertisers and others uh, sort of use fear to motivate people um, and some of the different um, some of the different uh, uh, ways that they do that. So it's true. I, I think you have a super fan here from Peace, uh, squaring the strange forever. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Peace. <laughs> right. That's thanks, Peace. That, that's a good way. That's a great name. Um, and Kenny Biddle, uh, I'll always be a book lover. Yeah, Kenny I, and Ben, I think that there's kind of this misconception, I think, that older generations are stuck on books. But the truth is, the younger generations, there are plenty of people that when they take notes, they want to use a notebook. You know, when they read a book, they they want to write in the margin and, mm -hmm. and hold your finger in the page while you're talking to someone or, you know, distracted and then get back to it. Um, I don't think books are going away. They're not. Know. You're yeah. absolutely right. And, and, you know, and I, I, you always hear, you know, oh, the electric car is going. There's a documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car? My dad's yeah, yeah. got an electric car. Half the people I don't have electric cars. Nobody killed them. Same thing with vinyl, right? We remember, remember when vinyl was dead? Vinyl's yeah. everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's back. And yeah. so, and, you know, yes, it's true that, uh, that, you know, that, you know, obviously Kindle and tablets and whatever else. Uh, are being used, but you know, when, when I go, when I travel and I look on planes and the airports um, and subways, people are reading books, not yeah. all of them, but I mean, you know, some of them are trying to edge away from the, 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 you know, the, the guy, you know, who kind of creepy and scratching himself. But for the most part, people are, you know, books are not dead. Uh, and thankfully so. So as a writer, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful to, uh, to, uh, to, to readers because without, without readers, writers are nothing. I feel like you've been on the New York subway recently. <laughs> Not recently, but I recently enough, it's still burned into my brain. Yeah. There are plenty of times where you have to shift into the next car at the next stop. Um, <laughs> it happens, uh, but that's part of the adventure of, of New York city. Uh, but yeah, no, but I think times have changed. Cause I remember being on the subway, you know, 15 years ago and looking up around me and people were holding books. I remember when the Da Vinci code came out, Mm -hmm. Like there was ton, like I would be every train ride, somebody was <laughs> reading the Da Vinci Code in the paperback. Um, but now, when you look around, there's far less paperbacks that, but there are still people that read them. Yeah. Um, and I think also it's kind of physiological because our eyes get so tired of looking at screens all the time. It's it's just a nice break away from the screen. In the modern era, because Chupacabra was sort of that first modern cryptid mm -hmm. that was birthed out of as you as you. Uh, believe the internet era we also had something like the slender man come along yes absolutely um, now do you do you think that we're beyond that point um that we're all familiar we understand the online universe the virtual world uh better as a society from old to young that we won't see these incarnations of 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 newfound cryptids no, um, but you, you know, I'm glad you brought up Slenderman because that's, I mean, that's that's a really interesting and even a newer. I mean, uh, as far as you know, new monsters go. Um, mm -hmm. a, a colleague of mine, folklorist Andrea Kita, uh, K I T T A, she's done some interesting stuff on Slenderman. Um, and and yeah, so basically, you know, as much folklore as there is involved in Chupacabra, and it, it's heavily infused with folklore as a as a as I've discussed, mm -hmm. the, the Slender Man story uh, is, is, is pure folklore. And, and once again, you know, we, we know because I tracked it, I tracked down, you know, Tolentino, the original. So we know for a fact when and where and who created Slender Man. So it's not some 
lost mysteries of the ages of time. It's not, you know, right. well, in the 1400s, like, no, we know we had the exact date. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, uh, Victor yeah. Strange, I think it was. So, um, so, so, you know, so one thing, one of the characteristics of folklore is that it, it, it evolves over time. So folklore is not static. So same with urban legends. So urban legends, um, there's lots of different urban legends. There's the Vanishing Hitchhiker ones, there's this and there's that. But one thing about urban legends is that they adapt and they change. And so, for example, <laughs> you'll hear an urban legend um, about uh, something that happened uh, in, in Michigan. And then you'll be talking to your friend like, oh, I heard that. But this happened, you know, this happened in Boston, like in my neighborhood. And so these things get regionally adapted. So the same stories, the same framework is 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 the 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 details are are adapted because it has to be plausible right because people tell urban legends about things that occur to a friend of a friend or their cousin's boyfriend's mechanics whatever else and and this this helps to keep it plausible um and by the same token and for the same reason uh these 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 uh, these emerging narratives uh slenderman being a perfect example are are always going to be with us and there's there's a there's even been more recent ones for example uh, I'll just quickly mention there was uh, the Blue Whale Challenge and there was the Momo Challenge. And both of these are sort of online moral panics that happened. Um, and uh, there were these stories that there was this Momo figure and this Blue Whale game that were this sort of suicide game. And these these fears, these again, going back to the boogeymen, these yeah. ideas that there's these things that are uh, trying to get people to threaten our kids and things like that. And, and what's the Slender Man? Slender Man's threatening children. So there's these common <laughs> themes of boogeymen in, in the internet age. And then you have parents who are kind of, kind of unfeeling. They're, they're feeling uncomfortable with their own lack of facility in decoding emojis, <laughs> you know, Instagram. <laughs> so the, there's always this parental thing like, oh my God, what are my kids doing online? And for the most part, they're not doing anything bad, uh, but there's there's always the, what are kids today doing? And that folds right in with it. Ben, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. This, is, this has been great chatting with you and great questions, and uh, this is fun. We should do it again. Yeah, I'd love to. And you've covered so much. And what's your next uh, topic of interest? Ooh, my next talk of, topic of interest. Um, uh, well, that's a good way. So we just did a, we on my podcast, we just did a show on levitation. Um, probably, uh, so I might write a piece on the Dover Demon. Um, and um, I might do, uh, I might do another psychic detective case. Uh, Kenny Biddle, who showed up on the show a bit, a bit ago, uh, mm -hmm. Kenny and I have done, we've sort of partnered in, in investigating some, Psychic detectives in real time. So we might circle back to that. All right. And thank you, Wes H., Kenny Biddle, and Peace for joining us. Uh, UFOT and uh, Kat, thank you so much for jumping in. Jingus, uh, thank you, Maria. I appreciate you guys. I really, really do. Uh, Laura D'Souza, who I missed, and UFO Bigfoot, thank you all. You make the chat exciting and you bring a lot of intelligent questions to the table, which uh, myself and the guests always appreciate. Uh, ben, have a good night. Thanks. You too. Bye. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. And a quick announcement. Uh, April 1st in Pine Bush, New York, I'll be giving a, a lecture. Um, so I'm going to put the link there and we'll be discovering the 
relationship between our personal psyches and the paranormal, why we're so fascinated with the paranormal, um, and what is the draw that keeps us coming back for more and more. So if in the New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, um, go to the Pine Bush uh, Museum website and then uh, check it out there. And uh, I'll have more information to come as well. So I'll put that link in the uh, comment sections as well as in the show description. So thank you all again. And until next time, live in the mystery. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.